there are always traps that we can fall into as songwriters. So in this episode, we're going to talk about not three, not four, not five, not six, but seven different things to avoid when songwriting. Then I had to stop myself and say, hey, seven's enough. You're going to go too long. So without further ado, let's dive right into it. Hello, friend. Welcome to another episode of the Songwriter Theory Podcast. As always, I am your host, Joseph Vidala. Today, we're talking about seven things to avoid when songwriting. And if you want the other side of things, what to do, uh, then go check out my free guide on 10 different ways to start writing a song. Gives you 10 different ways, five from a lyrical standpoint and five from a musical standpoint. So whether you're lyrics first or music first, there are ways to start songs for you. It's a good way to keep fresh creatively is constantly writing from sort of different standpoints rather than writing in the same way over and over again, which is going to touch on one of our things to avoid here. But that is at songwritertheory.com slash free guide. If you're interested, link will be in the show notes slash description, whatever the heck it's called. But let's dive right in and talk about the seven things to avoid when songwriting. First thing to avoid, writing everything in the same key. And this, to me, files under the same category as, for example, grabbing the same instrument every time, and also in the same category of having a sound. I think having go-tos and bread and butters, right, things that, let's say you have a 10-song album, on average, maybe three or four fit kind of in this sort of box of maybe your bread and butter is, uh, let's say it's B major, because let's say the logic of it is that your best money note, high note that you can hit and hit repeatedly comfortably is a high B. So choosing B major is a key that maybe makes sense for you vocally. So in, in that in that case, I think it's fine if you know you have an album, and on average on a 10 song album, just to keep the math and percentages simple, maybe three or four of them are in that key. I think that's fine. Just like I think it's fine that, you know, album to album, EP to EP, song to song, you do want to have an identity as a creator and as an artist, and you want to have something that people can rely on, right? If, if your second album sounds nothing like anything in your first album, then why would the same people even like the music, right? Not to mention that us as creators, we, we all have a, a voice. I think the one thing that is totally unavoidable as a creative is that we have a voice and the creative voice is really the, the thing that separates all of us, which we're actually going to get back to that with a later thing to avoid. So we'll drop it for now, but stay tuned till the end and we'll talk more about that. So don't write everything in the same key. Sometimes just playing things in different keys, especially like with different instruments uh, outside of, for example, Guitar, if you just use a capo to change the key, is going to change less. Um, but at the piano, for instance, literally the way you form chords with your hands is completely different in different keys. And certainly it is in guitar, too, if you're not just using a capo. Um, but just doing that, and even, even with the capo example, uh, I don't know about you, but if you've ever tried, you know... Maybe a key you're comfortable with. So for a guitarist, something very common would be G major, right? G major, C major, D major, and E major are like the big guitar keys generally. So if you take, say, G major, and then you actually put it maybe capo five 
The guitar takes on this whole new chiminess that's so different, it almost sounds completely different. Even though, you know, that you could be playing the same exact chord progression, and it is the same, uh, it's not technically the same key you've always played in, but the chord shapes are all the same. And it just sounds different, and it will inspire you in different directions. So even that, which is like the the most basic version of what I'm talking about, like change up the keys, literally just do the same for guitar, you know, let's say it's still basically G major, but then just put a capo on to make it instead of G major, say C major, C sharp major or something. Even that will make a difference. I would argue to go further with it um, and actually do, so say do E major based on, E-shape chords, maybe do some open E, because E is great for sort of open tuning type sounding stuff. Uh, if, say, you normally gravitate towards your Gs and Cs. Um, and then and then just, especially for me at the piano, if I just change up the key radically, like, like recently I'm like, you know what, A-flat. I haven't written something in A-flat major. And even though I thought that I was sort of running out of creative gusto or I don't know what the right word is, but you know, cause sometimes I have been writing a lot at the piano. So I'm starting to get worried about like, okay, you know, as I talk about, if you keep writing at the same instrument with some of the same sounds, you can start to lose a little bit of the creativity and then you need to go to another instrument. But it's also okay that while the creative creativity is still flowing, stick with it. Right. And at the time I had, had, maybe three, four piano-based songs straight that I had come up with, which is usually my marker of like, okay, soon I'm going to have to, you know, write a bass line first or, you know, write strings first or go grab my guitar again. Um, but actually in that case, just changing to A-flat major did the trick. Um, because again, chord shapes are just totally different. The way I play, the, you know, how far you have to stretch for certain intervals can change based on where the sharps and flat sharps or flats lie or if they don't exist like a C major so number one writing everything in the same key don't do that uh, also vocally it'll make a big difference I won't go too far with that but you know what your high note in the song is and it maybe you're not focused on high notes that's not a big deal to you but you know having one song that's a little more um, breathy and bright sounding and then having another one that's really leaning into say your baritone voice or your alto voice um, that type of thing, just changing the key can go a long way. Second thing, grabbing the same instrument with the same sounds every time. I had to say this again. I know, I know this is one of the common songwriter theory go-tos, but it's important. So we're going to recover it quickly though. Cause I have, I think a whole episode on this and I mentioned this a lot, but don't just grab the same instrument every time and specifically not with the same sounds. It will inspire you to to similar things over and over. If you keep grabbing that acoustic guitar, and that's every time you write a song, it starts with that, eventually you might find that your songs start to sound the same, you start to go a little creatively dry, and maybe you don't feel that way, but that doesn't mean that it might not be true. So just making minor alterations, such as grabbing your electric guitar instead, and trying that maybe clean first, and then just turning on the distortion will inspire you differently. Like, you're just not going to write the same if you have a distorted guitar versus a clean guitar. Because something that might sound really cool and epic on an electric guitar 
like playing a riff that just uses the bottom string on an electric guitar with distortion will sound great often. Uh, even with a clean electric guitar, it would probably sound lame and empty. So you're going to play differently. And I gave this example recently in a either video or podcast. I'll give it again. Any pianist or anybody who's ever played at, at a keyboard, if you've ever experienced hitting that that button that changes the sound from some form of fake grand piano to strings, you will know that very quickly, if you're even, you just play differently. You play because the sound is so different. The way that strings are articulated is totally different than a piano. In the same way that it's totally different from an organ. And it's different than a flute, right? There's a reason that playing a flute on a keyboard that's, you know, emulating a flute is not going to sound that great because there's details to it that it's, you play it differently. So changing up your instrument is a great way to do that. Don't just grab the same instrument. Change up the sound of the instrument at very least. Even if you play a single instrument, right? Like guitar, great example is just, you know, pull out the electric instead. Change up the, the, the tones you use. If you always do a certain distortion, change it up. Try one without distortion. Um, and piano qualifies for that too. Luckily, like you can just, I mean, really every synth is at your disposal. So change it up. Number three, losing sight or focus on what your song is about. It's pretty easy, I think, or it could be easy for your lyrics to sort of start to wander off and for you to lose sight of the main thing that your song is about. And something to keep in mind here is great lines are good or great, but only if they fit with the song. So if you write a great line, that doesn't mean that it's going to be a great line for that song. So, and, and you can save that line and save it for another song. In fact, there've been times where I came up with a line. I'm like, Oh, I love this line. But then I realized this doesn't really it feels like a stretch in this song. It feels like I thought of a clever line and then I'm like, ooh, look at me. I'm so smart. I'm going to throw it in. Um, so I saved it. And sometimes it like evolved and became a song unto itself, right? Like it inspired a whole other song. So don't lose track of what your song is about and allow your lyrics to go off in, in totally different directions. I think something that people forget is, it, well, they don't forget this part. Generally speaking, our songs have about four minutes, right? Maybe you stretch it to five, six. Maybe you're one of those people that does eight-minute songs, but let's be honest. If you have an eight-minute song, almost definitely a lot of that is going to be instrumental, right? It's going to be a solo or something. Very rarely do we have, like, lyrical content for much more than five or six minutes. Um, again, it exists. Very rare, though. Sometimes it's even three minutes, that is not a lot of time. There is not a lot of information that can be passed. So it's important to really hone in on specifically what your song is about and don't go off of that thing. That's why uh, what uh, I forget which author it was. Was it Pat Patterson or was it and Andreas Stolpe? I forget. But one of them mentioned something that I thought was a, a really good point. Avoid travelogues. I think it was Pat Patterson. And basically what a travelogue is, is something that 
sort of just travels around this subject and but but like the only thing that really unites the different verses is that they technically loosely connect to the theme right so an example of this would be something about i don't know if your chorus is lamenting the state of the world or something and then in the first verse you talk about one thing that you don't like about the world and then in the second verse you talk about a totally different thing that you that you think is wrong with the world and then the third verse where bridge talks about something totally different like Okay, that's why don't you write a song about each individual thing? Like you can't it's not concentrated enough. We need to have focus in our songs because it already we only have 4 minutes and so if you're going to spend 30 seconds on one issue and then 30 seconds on another like it, it's it now it's a listicle, right? It's 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 like a listicle in song form. Nobody's interested in that. Not, not to mention other side things, right? Like you also run the risk of one of those things resonates with people, like your first verse and then your second verse, you lose half of everybody because they're like, I don't, that's not a problem. Or like, okay, whatever. Like, I don't really care about that one. I cared about the first verse, but not the second. So there's a million reasons to not do travelogues, I think anyway. But regardless, don't lose sight or focus on the specific thing that you were trying to do with this song. And it really should come down to one thing. They talk about how like a, your your pitch for a movie or your pitch for a whole book should be able to be certainly less than a minute. And sometimes I've even heard like two sentences or three sentences or something like so you should be able to do that with your song, too. Right. Your song shouldn't be all over the place. Keep it concentrated. Easy to do, but definitely something to avoid. Number four. Throwing away bad songs. And there's a couple of reasons for this. One is that today's bad song might evolve into tomorrow's great song. So on the one hand, I am a firm believer of once you think a song is not going anywhere, or uh, for example, when you're writing a song is usually when you love it most, I think. And that might not much not be true for you for every song, and I don't think it's true for anybody for every song, but I would say generally speaking, the peak of how much I like a song is when I'm in the middle of writing it. And I think that's for several reasons. One is you're excited about this new thing you're making, and it's kind of like, you know, how every artist says every new album is, oh, we think this is the best album we've ever done, Right? Every artist seems to say that. And almost all of them, I don't think, are lying. I think they actually believe that. And, of course, most of the time, we as fans would thoroughly disagree with that with that analysis. But I think the reason for that is just, you know, you, it as a creative, whatever you did before is old news. You're on to the new thing, and the new exciting thing is the thing you've most recently written. Now, I think sometimes by the time you're done recording a song, maybe now you're starting to get sick of it. But usually in a life cycle, the most you love a song's in the middle. So all the, in the middle of writing it. All to say, I don't think there's anything wrong with if in the middle of writing a song, you're already like, eh, and you have five other songs you're working on that you're like, oh, this is amazing. You know, may, maybe if it's already eh, and you haven't even finished writing it, okay, maybe time to set it aside. But notice I said set it aside, not throw away. Because, so save everything. We talked about this in last week's episode, but save everything. Or at least we touched on something 
tangentially related. Keep everything because, well, for many reasons. But in this in this case, for throwing away bad songs, just because today it started and and you feel like it's not very good, you feel like it's bad, you might wake up tomorrow and change your mind and be like, actually, that's really catchy or actually, that's actually really interesting. It just was very different for me, so I was uncomfortable with it. But even that, a year from now or two years from now, you might disagree with your own analysis that it wasn't very good, right? Your style might change. Maybe also it might be about uh, song subjects that right now you just feel like you can't tackle it. So you have some of the music and you think the music is pretty good, but the lyrics are ruining it for you because you feel like your lyrics are garbage and you can't figure it out. Well, you know, maybe it's something that you just need more life experiences and then you'll be able to write the song and do it justice. Because not everybody is equally equipped to write songs about the same subject, right? If you've never had heartbreak, then your heartbreak song is, you are at a distinct disadvantage from all the people who have had significant heartbreaks, right? And yeah, sure, you can write a song about a tragedy of a mother losing a daughter or something, but if you if you haven't experienced that, you are at a disadvantage compared to people who have gone through that horrific thing, or at least know somebody who has, right? So we all are differently equipped for things. And sometimes we need more life experiences to be able to finish a song. So don't throw them away. Set them aside. Be comfortable with that process of setting things aside. Next. Presuming that you should have conventional song structure. Don't go into a song thinking to yourself, hey, you know what? I'm starting to write a song, verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, chorus. Nope, no. Do not do that. Don't even presume that you're going to have a second verse, even though almost every song has a second verse. That's that, that of all things that is that unites songs. I'm pretty sure there are more songs that have a second verse than there are songs that don't have a chorus. Did I say that right? I don't know if I said that right. Allow me to clarify. I think there are so more songs that don't have a chorus then there are songs that don't have a second verse. And even that, you should not assume. Maybe your song doesn't need it. Maybe it needs to have a totally different section. Maybe in your song, there shouldn't be a bridge. Maybe there should be a bridge. Maybe your song should have two bridges or three bridges. Or maybe your song should have a song structure where no section of the song is ever returned to. Maybe you should have a refrain instead of a chorus. If you don't know what a refrain is, a refrain is, um, if you think like American Songbook or Hymn, if you're familiar with either of those, refrain is basically like a repeated, it can be anywhere from like a repeated line, a single line that like, you know, it's sort of like having a verse, but then there's one line that the verse always ends on that has a distinct melody from the rest of the verse. That could be an example of a refrain or sometimes just a really short chorus. That's like two lines or something is effectively a, a refrain. There's a little vagueness with that, but the point is don't assume a certain song structure because that will lock you into something that maybe you don't need to be locked into and might hurt the song we need to figure out what is right for the song and you know maybe your song it shouldn't end on a chorus maybe it needs to end with a final verse right maybe it needs to end uh redoing the bridge maybe it needs to end with what i call a finale uh, which is basically a coda section in the sense that it's a section that you have never played before. So it only plays at the end. Uh, but it, it, it sort of carries the job 
of a chorus partially and a bridge partially. So bridge in a normal song construct only happens once, right? That's something that makes it distinct from choruses, which return multiple times, and verses, where the music returns multiple times, or, you know, the general melody and chord progression returns, um, even if the lyrics change. But the bridge is usually that one section that's totally, totally different, right? Musically, it's different. Usually, sometimes it shares the same uh, chords, harmonies as the chorus, but usually it's different. Um, and then lyrically and melodically, totally different. So don't even presume, oh, sorry, <laughs> allow me to finish explaining what a finale is. So it's sort of a hybrid between the bridge and the chorus and that the chorus tends to be the emotional peak of the song. So it, it takes that job with like, it, it's like you thought the chorus was the emotional peak, but now this is finale and it's even bigger. Um, and then it's like a bridge in that it plays once and then it's done. So it's, it's meant to kind of be sort of the equivalent of a cliffhanger in a movie for people or ending with a like ridiculous reveal at the end or some really epic fight scene and then boom, movie over. And it like leaves you wanting more. That's sort of the effect it's going for. Regardless, I talk about why I love finales and why I use them a lot. I think I have a whole episode about that or video. There's definitely a YouTube video about that. So go check that out. But uh, regardless, don't, Presume any song structure before diving in. Let the song dictate what it should be. And if anything, once in a while, sort of force yourself out of a really traditional song structure to push yourself and see what are different storytelling methods. Because really what conventional song structure gives you is a conventional story arc, really. right? Because let's take verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, chorus, because it's probably the most conventional of all conventions. What that usually forces you into is chorus handles sort of the central theme, and then you effectively have a trilogy of story information, because usually chorus is not story-centric, it's theme-centric. So your first verse is like the first movie in the trilogy, your second verse is like the second in the trilogy, and then the story is wrapped up in the bridge, is very often how that goes. But when you change the structure that actually allows you to tell a story in a different way. Like, for example, we'll take the finale, for example, because it's part of why I love it. I like that I get to give that last piece of story information in the what usually becomes the most epic part of the song and then end with story instead of ending with a the theme. I like being able to do that. It gives me a different storytelling mechanic that, for me personally, I really like. And it's okay if you don't like that, right? The The idea is challenge conventions when it comes to song structure. Don't just, at very least, don't just presume that you're going to go into a conventional song structure. Allow yourself to break out of it, even if you choose not to. Number six, sticking with the first thing you like. It's good to zero in on something once you really like it, but don't be like, oh, I improvised something I like, boom, that's it. Hit save, that's it. From there, take the thing you like and make little adjustments, right? So let's say it's it's a melody, it's a melodic line that is six notes. You really like it. What you shouldn't do is say, I really like this, it's six notes, done. What you should do is try something where 
let's so six note example, right? Play the first five notes, try a different sixth note. And and usually, right, you're gonna you're gonna be in some form of key where you only have seven notes that are options. So for you to go through and legitimately try all of them, all the different options, it's not gonna be that hard. There's not that many, right? Because what you've already used one of the seven. That's your current sixth note. Try another one, right? Try try all six other ones. It's not gonna take that long. You might actually discover, oh, actually this interval is much more interesting than the one that I had that was perfectly good, but I can make it even better, right? And I'm not saying that every note you ever write, you know, do this experiment, right? And a part of it is also flow. So sometimes, you know, the exact transition from one note to another won't be better than the previous version, but the overall arc of that, mel let's say it's a melody, of that six note melody might be better with that final note transition even though that transition on its own doesn't necessarily sound better, right? Because it's it's kind of like the 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 Pepsi taste test. You might not know this, but um, back in the day, you probably remember, unless you're really young, when Pepsi did a whole thing where they did a Pepsi versus Coke taste test. And the reason for that is because people preferred Coke, or Coke is more popular. And people perceived that they liked Coke better. But in a taste test, people actually, even who thought they liked Coke better, they liked Pepsi better. But the problem with the test, which doesn't matter to Pepsi, of course, but the problem with the test is that it's not really relevant. Because people enjoy a drink based on the context of consuming it by the can or bottle. Right. The problem with the taste test is you take basically a, a glorified drip. Right. You get you take one swallow full and that's it. But nobody drinks soda that way. So really what's important, whether is whether I prefer drinking a bottle of Pepsi or a bottle of Coke or at least a can of Pepsi versus a can of Pope of Pope. Wow. Of Coke, um, which, by the way, people do prefer Coke over Pepsi by a decent amount, not everyone, but it is preferred by more than 50% of people, when consumed that way, which is the only actually relevant way, right? Because again, nobody drinks Coke by or Pepsi by taste test format, right? You drink it by the can or the, by the bottle. Um, so it's sort of a similar thing, right? So your interval on its own doesn't really matter. It matters in context of the bigger piece. And maybe you might enjoy that interval less or more on its own, but on its own, it doesn't matter. It's irrelevant, right? So in the total arc of the melody and the total arc of this piano riff you're writing, whatever it is, you know, try different notes in different places, right? Just swap out some, play around with it, do some experimentation, but you don't have to, you know, you don't have to try every note. You don't just try different things, especially if there's a weak spot in the melody, right? You have a, a, a least favorite part, zero in on that. See if you can make it better. Um, and don't worry about just that note transition, right? Like it, two notes maketh not a, me a melody. Technically they, they do because series of notes starts with two. But what I'm saying is again, context matters. The whole melodic arc is what matters. Don't worry too much about like, oh, 
I like the sound of a perfect fifth more than I like the sound of a minor sixth. Like, oh, okay, but in context of this melodic arc, which one do you like better? Because Coke is better than Pepsi. Boom, said it. Um, also, seriously, it, it does blow my mind that people prefer Pepsi. It's like, have you consumed Pepsi and Coke? Because I don't understand, like... Pepsi's like super overly sweet and syrupy and kind of gross and Coke actually has a little punch too, but whatever, whatever. Hey, don't unsubscribe if you disagree with me. It's okay. We can still be friends. Um, but your taste buds are garbage. Just kidding. Uh, <laughs> um, so don't stick with the first thing you like. Make sure to still experiment. Go for better than good or like, hey, I like this. Go, You can go for even better. Last one. Maybe the most important one. Avoid trying to be different. This was my big... In college, the main reason I couldn't stand... And it's okay if you are one. We can be friends. But at the time, hipsters drove me absolutely crazy. And not just because the flannel thing, even in the middle of summer, is patently ridiculous. Not just because of that. But because... Whenever I talk to them, especially about music, but about a lot of creative things, I noticed that their entire value system was completely based off of how different something was. They never even asked how good it was. That seemed to be irrelevant to them. It was about being different. If it was different, it was good. Which, of course, is ridiculous. The idea that just because it's different is good is patently ridiculous. And I don't think anybody would actually stand by that opinion when it's reflected back at them like, like, like okay, so you're saying just being different makes it good, right? Like, well, you know what would be different in music? What would be different is if instead of a guitar, I just clanged forks together and said, that's my instrument now. And while I'm sure that you can make some interesting music out of that and you could pitch shift and all, okay, fine. But generally speaking, right, like different does not make it good. And uh, the other part that drove me nuts about it is it always seemed like it came from this the sense of hubris, right? Like I'm so unique and I'm so and, 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 and I like unique music because I'm a unique person. It always came from this this sense of pride. And to me, it was super obvious, too. It was this total like hubris, prideful thing. About like, oh, it's different. Like, you wouldn't get it, right? Like, that's kind of your quintessential stereotypical hipster thing to say, right? Oh, oh you, you, you wouldn't, you just don't get whatever, right? Which, you know, sometimes they're probably right, right? There are definitely some things where there are people on the opposite side, right? They, they have no ability to like anything that isn't cookie cutter. I get it. But then hipsters tend to go way too far the other way and forget that, like, good is a discussion that is different than different. Um, so the reality is that everything comes from something that came before. The only thing and this is the thing that I said I was, we were going to come back to, but the only thing unique about you as an artist is your artistic voice. You don't need to try to be different. You already are different. You have different light, no matter how, how much you love any individual artist or any series of artists that sound vaguely similar. You have different life experiences. You have different lyrical things that are going to move you. You're going to talk about different subject matters. You're going to have your subtle, different take on things. And I think where we get into trouble is when we start worrying about being different or trying to be different. Because then we force ourselves into things that sound weird. 
right? Because what is another way to force yourself to be different? You haven't listened to all the music. So the only way to force your and there's so much music out there, right? Like you're not going to come up with a chord progression that's totally different than has been done before. There aren't that many options. There just aren't. So if you try to do that, you're going to force yourself into doing something so weird that I mean, I mean, it's kind of like, you know, when somebody says like, oh, why, why have, why hasn't this company or this food joint or whatever it is tried this before? And at some point you have to ask yourself, well, if there's a bunch of companies that do well, or if there's a bunch of movie makers that do well, if, if all of them have collectively decided we're not going to do this thing, it doesn't necessarily, like sometimes they, they missed, right? And, and, and the first one that finally does take the risk will get a huge reward. Yes, absolutely. But there are also a lot of times where it's like, okay, if you've never heard somebody do something musically before, maybe there's a reason for that, right? Maybe it's because it sounds bad. Maybe it's because it doesn't work. If, if you say, like, let's go extreme, right? Why hasn't somebody written an hour-long song? Well, partially because you're going to lose people's attention, partially because how on earth would you even do that without it effectively not being different songs? Like, what are you, you going to do? Have verse 30? Right? Like, oh, no, it's just going to, like, keep going and changing. Well, at some point, it's not even – at some point, you could just argue that this, it, one song f- navigated right into the next song. So there's so many ways that we can try to be different. And I think almost always those things are not good. And just to be clear, what I'm not saying is trying something different is bad. Of, of course that's not bad. That's great. That's a great thing creatively. It's about your goal and where it's coming from. At the end of the day, appreciate your voice for what it is. Your voice is what makes you special as an artist of any kind. Because my voice will never be the same as your voice, and your voice will never be the same as anybody else's voice. Because your combination of genes and life experiences and preferences and all that will never, nobody else will ever match those exact things again. You are the only thing that's unique about you, which I know is kind of a weird statement, but trust that. It's okay to do experiments, try different things. That's, that's great. I do that all the time. It's a good thing. What's not a good thing is going out of your way to try to be different and to try to be like, oh no, that sounds too much like a thing I've heard before. Like, oh no, you know, I'm never going to do that chord progression because I've heard it too many times. Um, which admittedly, even I can be guilty of that. I do tend to avoid the one, five, six, four, um, or at least change it up. So admittedly, even I'm guilty of that. That's maybe a little different cause that one is ultra beaten to crap. Right. Um, but regardless, don't go out of your way to try to be different. Try to be you and just you being you is going to be different. Might not be as different as you like, but that's okay. Because you are what you are and what your creative voice is. And as you grow as a songwriter, you'll probably find that you'll start to really form a more specific voice that's different than other voices over time. So little 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 note, too, if you're a new songwriter, just because I think it's important to say this. You probably will experience as a newer songwriter that your songs will sound more carbon copy ish to artists you really like 
than you will years from now. A part of that is just writing more songs, more experience. So take solace in that. It's okay. In fact, uh, I recommend if you're really young, especially with songwriting, a great place to start, especially with lyric writing and practicing, is take a song that exists and rewrite the lyrics. Just write it about something totally different. Right? I mean, that's literally copying. And then now don't sell that song, right? That's illegal. Or unless it's a parody, then it's fine. But don't do that, right? But it's a, it's a good um, exercise to do. And the point behind that is if you're really young, your capacity to write your own music is sometimes really suspect because you're so young and there's only so much creativity that you can do and you probably don't understand enough music theory. And there's lots of reasons. Um, you know, there's a reason there aren't too many six-year-old songwriters out there. Not that there can't be. Of course, of course there can. But the idea is concentrating on the lyric writing side because that's usually where we all struggle. Regardless, if you're new at songwriting, don't sweat it. It's going to happen probably. If it doesn't, great. If it does, don't worry about it. Keep writing the next song. Soon you'll find yourself in an area where you realize that even though nobody would listen to your music maybe and say, oh, it's so different, which by the way, I, again, I maintain, I don't think that's a good thing. It's so different. Like, well, okay, well, what makes it so weird then? But you'll really start to find that creative voice and you'll really start to find, like someday you'll wake up and realize, huh, the last five songs I wrote really just feel like me. And yes, a really basic overview could be like, oh, that kind of reminds me of so-and-so. But it's usually somebody who, like, they already know you like an artist, and they're like, oh, that artist is based around piano, and so are you. You're basically the same. Like, of course it doesn't work that right way, right? But that's really all that person's saying. And that's the point you're going to get to, right? Where you know that really you have your own sound, and while you can you know, be like, oh, well, the guitars sound a little bit like blah, 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 and the blah, blah. Anybody can say that about anything. And at the end of the day, when you pull all the parts together, it's all going to be what is eventually uniquely you. And that's awesome. It's one of the most exciting things as an artist is to discover. If you're, if you're newer at this and you are going through frustrations about feeling like your songs feel uh, not, you know, just they don't, they feel like poor copies of other songs, I'm almost jealous of you because you get to re-experience sort of that transition into writing songs where you're like, wow, okay, that, that's my song, right? Like, it's me. Um, really, really cool stuff. But to get there, you have to keep songwriting. So be sure to keep songwriting. Hopefully this was encouraging to you, especially with that last part, that you can indeed go out and crush it with songwriting, and you can. Just be dedicated to being you. Don't try to be different because, uh, again... Your creative voice, there's nothing else like it. You're the only one. So lean into that. It's a good thing. Hopefully this was helpful to you. If it was, be sure to leave a kind Apple podcast review or whatever podcasting thing you use, Google, whatever it is. If it has a review thing and you don't mind and you feel like you can give this podcast five stars and help uh, other people find this podcast, then... If you could do that, I would appreciate that greatly. I appreciate those of you who already have, especially when you also say a lot of wonderful, kind words in the comment part, which it doesn't force you to write, if I remember correctly, but um, the fact that you go out of your way to then do that as well or shoot me a kind email, all that is super awesome. I appreciate all of that. And also, if we've forgotten in the course of talking here, don't forget, 
Also grab that free guide, songwritertheory.com slash free guide, about 10 different ways to start writing a song. If you're feeling motivated now and you're like, all right, time to start writing a song, but where do I start? Go grab that. Thank you for listening. I appreciate every single one of you. And I'll talk to you in the next one.